1 Peter chapter 5. Verses 1 through 7. <clears throat> Excuse me. The elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. When the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. The title of this message tonight is simply, Humbly Serving Our Chief Shepherd. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your word tonight. And I pray as we look into the word of God that we be challenged and encouraged, strengthened in our walk with you. And might we learn and be encouraged to humbly serve you with all of our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the Gospel of Matthew... In chapter 20, verses 20 through 28, <clears throat> Matthew 20, verses 20 to 28, the Bible says, Then came to him another, um, the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him, desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on the left, in thy kingdom. Well, Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, We are able. He saith unto them, Ye shall indeed drink, drink indeed of my cup, be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit in my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. When the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. But Jesus called them unto him and said, You know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and give his life a ransom for many. This is called servant leadership. You know, even the business world has come to understand that service done willingly from the heart is better than being forced or compelled or being done under compulsion or fear. And, of course, service in the Lord's churches is voluntary. It's to be out of love and devotion for the Lord. 
And love is the strongest compelling force there is. You know, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.14, For the love of Christ constraineth us. And the word constraineth there means it compels. Or it, it's the driving force. It was, it was the driving force behind the Apostle Paul's ministry. It was the love of Christ. And that is to be the way that we are to lead in the church. Uh, there was a, and I, I don't know if it was given to me or bought, I think it was given to me, it's called um, uh, The Love Principle. It's a book I have by a guy up in Massachusetts. He's probably with the Lord now, but about how to, how to lead or rule. It's talking about how pastoral leadership in a church. It's called The Love Principle. I think that's the name of it. And, but anyway, it's, so we want to consider tonight this past scripture. A lot of it has to do with pastors or elders. Um, that's just another name. But, but let's look at several things here. First of all, the position of the pastor. In verse 1 it says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Uh, the word elder means ruler. Uh, and there's, of course, three terms in the Bible that speak of the same office. They are elder, bishop, and pastor. So you could biblically call me Bishop Byler. I know that has some nice rings to it, but please don't. People will think I'm Presbyterian or something, you know. Um, and don't call me elder either. I'm not that old. But anyway, uh, but those are all biblical terms. The word elder, again, speaks of a ruler, speaks of the dignity of the office, speaks of rank of respect, um, and of course it, this relates to verse 3 where he says, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock, so he is to rule. The word bishop is, again, another word used in the Bible, that means overseer, it's the duty of the office, and verse 2 says, taking the oversight, or being the overseer. Uh, and of course we use the word, in Baptist churches the most commonly used word is pastor. Uh, and that comes from feed, which is the word poimen, which means to feed or to shepherd. And the word, of course, used in Ephesians chapter 4 refers to pastors and teachers and so on, the same word. And, of course, these, these, these all refer to the same person or the same office. Uh, these words are used interchangeably. Uh, for example, in verses 1, you have the word elder. Verse 2, you have the word uh, over, uh, oversight. Uh, which is overseer, uh, and then in verse four it says, "When the chief shepherd." And that's that's the word that's translated pastor in Ephesians chapter four. In Titus chapter, and just to show this, in Titus chapter one, verses five, six, and nine, Paul writing to Titus under inspiration says, "For this cause I left thee in Crete, that thou shouldst set in order the things that are wanting, and don't." Ordain elders in every city as I had pointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of right or unruly, for a bishop, referring to the elders, same guy, for a bishop must be blameless um, as the steward of God, not self-willed, soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre. Verse 9 says, holding the faithful word. Again, the idea of feeding the flock or pastoring. And then in Acts chapter seven or Acts chapter twenty, verses seventeen and also verse twenty-eight, you remember Paul on his way 
Uh, I think he was on his way back to Jerusalem where he would be arrested and then later go to Rome. But on his way back, in verse 17 it says, From Letus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. But in verse 28, he doesn't call them elders. He says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers and to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. So again, the word feed there is the word to shepherd or pastor. But the word overseer is the word bishop. Presbyter is the word in Greek. So these all refer to the same person. Elder, when you see the word elders, now, um, uh, when you see the word elders or elder and bishop or pastor, it all refers to the same person. So that's the position. Most secondly, the particular practice of the pastor. In verses 2 through 4, he instructs us as to what his responsibility is. First of all, He's to feed the flock of God in verse 2. In Psalm 23, the Bible says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down where? In green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. So a shepherd then, the Lord is my shepherd. And, and you know, of course, David wrote that. He understood that. That a, a shepherd's responsibility was to lead his sheep to green pastures. He was to lead them beside the, to the still waters where they could quench their thirst. And of course, all this speaks of food, nourishment. Uh, of course, for sheep, it's for the body, but of course, the application here is to pastors. They are to feed the flock of God. They are to preach the word. They are to feed them the word of God. Acts 20 and 28, Paul there told the Ephesian elders to feed the flock of God which is among you. In John chapter 21, when Peter was speaking to Peter, did I say Peter was speaking to Peter? When Jesus was speaking to Peter, he said three times, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Peter, you feed my sheep. And this is the primary, the foremost responsibility of a pastor. Uh, Acts 4 tells us that he's to give himself to the prayer and to the ministry of the word. Uh, you know, and of course, in the, the context in the book of Acts, in chapter six, they were there was uh, some problems with ministering to the needs of the widows, and and um, and and the, and the pastoral staff said, "Look, we don't want to be burdened down with this task because it'll take us away from our ministry of prayer and of the word." And so they. They, that's where they chose deacons to take care of that responsibility so that they give themselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. You know, Paul, in writing to young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses uh, 15 and 16, he said, Meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this, Thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Um, so he's to give himself to the ministry of the word, feed the flock. You know, there's a lot of things here it talks about he's to do in relation to this. He's to study the word. Paul wrote again Timothy in 2 Timothy 
Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Do you ever, you know, I've already been embarrassed at my own preaching, but do you ever go to hear somebody preach and you were embarrassed for the guy? And it was obvious he really didn't know what he was talking about or he didn't study it. No, we're to study to show our, not to you, but to God. The word study means to hasten to exert oneself. Hasten to exert oneself. Uh, so we're to study the word. Pastors are to study the word. We're to hold fast the faithful word. That Titus 1.9 says holding fast the faithful word. That means to cleave to or hold it against error. So we're to cleave to it. Uh, we're to preach the word. 2 Timothy 4.2 Preach the word, be instant, in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. So we're to preach the word. And I believe that we ought to do it expositional preaching. You know, the word exposition means, the definition is writing or speech primarily intended to con convey information or to explain a detailed statement of explanation, explanatory treatise. And if you, if you would... In Nehemiah chapter 8, in verse 8, when Ezra and the, the priests stood up and they read the law, and then it says they gave the sense. They gave the sense. In other words, what it means. And then it says they caused them to understand the reading. So they told them what it means, and then this is how it applies to your life. He caused them to understand. That's expositional preaching. And that's what a pastor is to do. Uh, and, you know, God, I heard a preacher, an old preacher say one time, God's an expositional preacher. He gave the Ten Commandments, and then he took five books explaining them and telling the children of Israel how they applied to life. Five books. You know, for example, one of the Ten Commandments is, Thou shalt not kill. Okay, if I just leave it, Thou shalt not kill. I can't go to war. And I can't defend myself. I might kill somebody. You know, there are people who actually believe that. But if you would read God's exposition on the Ten Commandments, the book of Deuteronomy will explain it for you. Deuteronomy 5, 17 says, Thou shalt not kill. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 2 says, Thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Now, we've got a problem here, don't we? You know, as I said, we have a problem, Houston. You know, we've got a problem. No, they were to utterly destroy the Canaanites. See, not all killing is murder. When Jesus said, or when, the, when, when God gave the law and says, Thou shalt not kill, he's talking about murder, premeditated murder. And of course, the Bible tells us in other places that you know, we're, we're to provide, we're to take care, and we're to, we, we have the, it is right to defend yourself. So, so you know, uh, that, that's just an example of expositional preaching. So, so we're to preach the word. We're to labor in the word in doctrine. First, uh, First Timothy five seventeen says uh, that we're to labor in the word, especially those who labor in the word. 
Now the word labor there means to labor with wearisome effort to toil. You know, it, it does get tiring studying. You know, and sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll study a passage like, like the one I preached this morning. And, you know, I've been looking at that since the beginning of the week. And, and, and I just said, what exactly? Did, and I would read this, you know, and I would, and I would read it again and, and look up definitions of words. And then I'd read what this guy said about it. And I read what this guy said about it. And I read what this guy said about it. And you know, what am I doing? That takes time. You know, Solomon said, much study is the weariness of the flesh. But we are to labor, pastors are to labor in the word. Uh, we are to admonish, exhort, and rebuke with the word. First uh, Thessalonians 5.12 uh, talks about the, the, to, to know them that admonish you and are over you in the Lord. Titus chapter 2 and verse 15, Titus 2 and 15 uh, he says, let these, th- uh, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. The word admonish, of course, means to caution, to warn, to put in mind. The word exhort means to call near, to instruct, to encourage. A good example of that is Barnabas. Barnabas was known as an exhorter. In, in, in Acts chapter 11, verse 23, it says, who when he came... And had seen the grace of God, was glad, and exhorted them all. He encouraged them. He instructed them and encouraged them in the things of the Lord. So he exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. But also for a rebuke. This is the unpleasant one. It means to find fault. To correct or refute. And sometimes, uh, and through preaching... We have to, re, have to refute error. Uh, also in feeding the flock, we're to train other preachers. 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy and said, The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. So, so these, are, these are things that have to do with the feeding of the flock. So he's to feed the flock. Secondly, he should oversee the flock. If you notice in verse 2 again, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. So he's to oversee or to take the oversight thereof. The word oversight here means to look upon, to inspect, to oversee, to look after, or to care for. Everything that goes on here is my business and my responsibility. Given to me by the Lord. You know, a shepherd, a shepherd, and I understand this a little bit. Brother Welch, you understand this, having birds. Principle's the same. A shepherd was constantly inspecting his sheep. You know, there was a phrase they used. They would pass under the rod. In other words, they would line them up, and one by one, they'd have to pass under the rod. And the purpose of that was, he was going over his sheep, he was looking for problems, parasites, that would get on the sheep and would hinder their growth. 
uh, could could be a danger to their health. Anything like that. And, you know, when Brother Welch goes to the farm and he goes through the bird pen, what's he looking for? He's looking for, he's inspecting the birds. He's looking for problems. You know, if you, if you can catch the problems early, you can prevent a lot of trouble. You know, a father is to inspect and oversee his, look after his children. And this is a, this is a great responsibility for a pastor. You know, Paul told the Ephesian elders in Acts 28, or Acts 20, verse 28 through 30, he said, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves, to all the flock, over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God with his purchase of his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. You know, there's going to be wolves, religious wolves, enter in among you, he said, not sparing the flock. I was telling the class this afternoon that you know, Paul wrote to the church of Corinth and he said, we are not as many, 2 Corinthians, we are not as many that corrupt the word of God. So already at that point in time, that early in our church history, there was corruption taking place. And we know that everywhere Paul went, the Judaizers had followed. That was corruption. And they were not sparing the flock. I mean, they were wreaking havoc. Causing people to doubt the truths of the Word of God and doubt their salvation and question, you know, the Corinthians were questioning, was the resurrection literal? Where'd all this stuff come from? Come from wolves. Or schismatics or heretics. Um, so, so a pastor is to oversee and to be on guard and to be constantly inspecting for these things. Titus chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, there Paul, telling young Titus, that part of his responsibility is, is to look out for unruly and vain talkers. Titus chapter 1, verse 9, holding fast the faithful word as he been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision. Of course, you know, Paul knew what that was all about. Whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. You know, you heard me say this before, that religion is big business. It's big business. You know, some of the richest men in the country are, quote, preachers. I mean, all the TV evangelists, just look up how wealthy they are. You know, worth $26 million, $40 million, $75 million. I'm talking about Joel Steen and um, what's the one out in California? Um, wrote the... 40 days books, all the 40 days. Rick Warren, you know, he's worth, I think, 26 million or something like that. You know, they're making big bucks. And that's the purpose. That's their driving force. It ain't sound doctrine. After all, that's not my lane, you know. It's not their lane. 
preach sound doctrine. They're unruly and vain talkers. And they are deceiving people. They're subverting whole houses. They are what Peter calls making merchandise of you. In 2 Peter three or 2, verses th- verse 3 says, And through covetousness shall they with feigned words, that feigned means fake or false or put on, make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. You know, they're, they're like parasites on sheep or on animals. A parasite makes its living off the host. That's where it gets all its living. You know, some people call them parachurch. Probably Mitchell calls them parasites. <laughs> um, that's what a lot of them are. They're just parasites. They make their living off of God's people. And they rob it from churches. I was reading a book. It's called Sedition and Missions. A uh, former missionary for ABWE wrote it. And in that book, he said this, that years ago, uh, when, when people in the churches died, they'd leave part of their estate to the church. But he said now, missions like ABWE, they become an entity unto themselves. They have their own retirement programs for the missionaries, and they, have, you know, they, they take so much of their salary, and of course they have a big home office and all this stuff they have to take care of, and their budgets are millions of dollars, sort of like the Southern Baptist Convention. And, and instead, of, instead of the churches getting these things now, guess where it all goes? It goes to the mission. In your Southern Baptist churches, that's what happened there too. You know, and these guys are making million, you know, $100,000 salaries. Wouldn't they be a whole lot better off if they just go pastor a church somewhere? Or wouldn't, well, maybe they, maybe the church wouldn't be better off. Maybe they ought to, you know, get out of the ministry altogether. I don't know. But, but you know, it would be a whole lot better off if, they, if we'd spend our money investing in churches, whether or not churches, and then all these things. They're parasites. And so we have to watch for all these things. And Hebrews 13, 17 says that the pastor is to watch for your souls. Of course, he's not to do it by constraint. In other words, not that he has to or be forced into it or be compulsory. It's to be willingly or not to be for filthy lucre. That word filthy lucre is eager for base gain. It could be power or money. Um. But he's the doing of a ready mind, again, willingly, of one's own accord, uh, willing, willing to do it. So, so he is to be an overseer. So he's, he's to feed, he's to oversee, he's also to lead. Verse 3 says, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. Uh, of course, this is the work of an elder, what the term, ter- what the term elder means. In, in Hebrews chapter 13, three times... And I thought this is interesting. I just I never thought about this before. But it appears to me, this is just my opinion, that evidently the Hebrews had a problem with pastoral leadership. Because three times in this one chapter, Paul says, you need to remember the elders among you. 
Verse 7, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of your conversation. Verse 17, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. And then also in uh, verse 24, he mentions it again, Salute all them that have the rule over you, and all the saints, they of Italy, salute you. So three times Paul makes reference to or commands them to remember or obey them that have the rule over them. So that, so it was to me it's kind of evident that this was evidently a problem with this church. I believe it's the church of Jerusalem, really. Most commentators believe that it's the case. Uh, it's written to the Hebrews. Uh, and they were in danger of apostatizing. So, so, so the pastors are to lead... And, and, of course, they're to lead by example. In verse 3 of our text, it says that neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. Uh, Paul said three times in the New Testament, follow me, follow me. 1 Corinthians 4.16, Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Philippians 3.17 Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which so as you have of us for an ensample. And again, in Hebrews 13.7, he said they're to, they're to follow the faith of their elders. So they're to lead by an example. But they're also to lead by command. Remember them that have the rule over you. The word rule there means to be leader, to rule, to command, to have authority over. And someone says pastors must lead, they must take charge. Weak need, timid, vacillating pastors can only produce a weak church. You know, I've heard pastors who apologetically lead. And it's like, come on, get a backbone. You know. That's not impressive. That doesn't impress men, particularly. Men like to follow a man who's, who's in, who looks like he's in, in charge, he's in command. Who will lead, who's not afraid to lead. Uh, so he, he's a lead, he leads by command. But pastors, there's a warning here also, pastors must not be dictators. Though he's to lead by command, He's not to be a dictator. Verse 3 says, Neither as being lords over God's heritage. The word lord here means to hold in subjection, to be master of, to control. He's not to be a control freak. Now, I think there's two ways that pastors can become control freaks. Number one, by putting people in fear by railing on them. You know, pastors not to be a railer. Uh, and, and by this I mean by threatening from the pulpit. I've been on the other end of that. It didn't impress me either. It, sorry to say it didn't scare me either. But what it did was, what it did was, and, and this is usually done without mentioning names. There was no, my name wasn't mentioned, but I know it was me because I confronted the guy afterwards. They'll say, 
someone was saying, or etc., something like that. Someone was saying, you know, and this continues, there's going to be, you know, whatever. They never say what that ever is, but it's just threatening. And it puts everyone at suspicion. Who's he talking about? Who's he talking about? And it puts them at, makes the body insecure. And it brings disunity and lack of trust within the church body. Um, sorry to say that church uh, had people continually leaving. You know, and 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 I talked to one man about it. He said, "I don't know why he just didn't confront the guy." There was another situation. There was two situations I remember very clearly. Why he just didn't confront? He threatened the whole church over something one man said. That is, excuse me for saying, but dum dumb. Because it puts everyone on on their toes. You know, not sure what they can do. So, so this is you know this is one way that the pastor can do this. Does this? Second, a second thing is to micromanage your life. Yeah, I was brother Hoda. I were talking one time, and he was talking about he went to Connecticut and interviewed for a position in the Christian school, and he said that pastor there didn't even tell you when you mow your lawn. That is called micromanaging your life. That is none of my business. And I do not intend to tell you when to mow your lawn. A couple of verses here. Let's think about this. 2 Timothy 2.24 says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive. In other words, he's not to be a brawler or a fighter or looking for a fight. I've heard it said about some preachers, he came looking for a fight, not looking to solve the problem. That ought not to be said about us. We must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient. The word strive there, it's interesting, the Greek word is machomai. What's that sound like? Macho man. Yeah. Yeah. And it means to engage in a war of words, to quarrel or to wrangle or dispute. You know, I've often said this, that you can, you can come to me about anything, but just bring your Bible and your brain. And if you can prove me wrong from the Scriptures, that's fine. But if you can't, you're obligated to follow me. In fact, I appreciate people who do that. Uh, James 3.17 also says, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. So, so you know, I believe that a, a pastor ought to be uh, full of mercy and he ought to be easily entreated. You know, a pastor's authority is delegated authority. It is not absolute authority. The Word of God, as we saw uh, was Thursday night, is the final authority. 
And again, if you cannot prove me wrong from the scriptures, then you're obligated to follow me. But you're not obligated to blindly follow a pastor. You're not obligated. Just blindly follow a man. Uh, but you better be careful and make sure you understand what you what, what you are uh, reason you may not follow a pastor. So so his his authority is delegated, but he is to oversee uh, and uh, <clears throat> have oversight over the church. So he's to, to feed, he's to oversee, he's to lead. Then I want you to notice the third thing tonight: the practice of the church. Now this would include the pastor as well. Notice verses five through seven. It says, "Likewise, ye younger." Submit yourselves unto the elder, and yea, all of you be subject one to another. So he's concluding the elders here in this. Be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. So the practice of the whole church, including the pastors, is to be submission with humility. It's interesting that phrase, clothed with, the, uh, the, the lexicon uh, meaning is to fasten or gird oneself. And the idea was with the, a white scarf or apron of slaves, which was fastened to the girdle of the vest and distinguished slaves from free men. See, so the idea is here that we are we're nobody. We're just servants of the Lord. We're not important. None of us are any more important than than any other. We're to be clothed with. We're to have on a. We're to have a servant's heart, a a a slave's heart, willing to do whatever our master tells us. Whatever the word of God says. So, as we think about this, the church, several things here, the church is to be in submission to the elder, the pastor. Verse 5 tells us that, beginning of that verse. And it says, to likewise ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. The word submit there means to arrange under, to follow, or obey. You know, Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you, for they watch for your souls. So, the church is to be in submission. But, but the second thing, right on the heels of that, he says, we're all to submit to one another. You know, this is found also in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21 where it says, we're to submit one to another. And then it says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. But you know, there's, there's times when we husbands do what our wives say. Because it's the right thing to do. I know my wife's wondering when that's going to happen. <laughs> I'll let you know when it does. No. Uh, you know, there are times because it's the right thing. Sometimes we, we guys aren't always right. You know, we make mistakes once in a while. And sometimes the wife will say, oh, you ever think about this? But no, I didn't think about that. It's not that you're subjecting to her or putting yourself under her in authority, in rank, but you are submitting to her what she says. And so we are all to submit one to another. We are all under an authority. And that authority, of 
course, is the Word of God. You know, even as I mentioned, a pastor's authority is delegated authority. A husband's authority is a delegated authority. The, the final authority is God. So, so we are all to submit to one another. Uh, and again, our, and our, and submit to the Lord. Uh, so we have, to, we have to remember that. Uh, you know, as one, one person said, authority is hierarchical. In other words, there, there, there is a hierarchy of authority, but we're all under, the, all, our final authority for each of us is God. So when, a, when, a, when an inferior authority who's over you tells you to do something that contradicts the word of God, who do you obey? You obey God. Just as the disciples said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Uh, of course, we need to do that with a good attitude. You know, I, I don't think there's, a, there's any room for a rebellious spirit even when we do have to disobey uh, this authority over us. So we are all to submit one another. And this is the idea of being clothed with humility. We're to seek. Third thing, we're to, it says we're to seek the power and sufficiency of God's grace. Verses 5 and 6 says, Yea, all of you be subject one another. Be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you and do time. The word picture here of, of, of uh, submitting to the grace of God or giveth grace to the humble is, it was described this way, the spiritual condition of one governed by the power of divine grace. You know, so it's, it's having you, you being governed by the power of God's grace. There's power there. In Acts chapter 4, verse 33, it says, And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. See, they were completely submitted to the Lord. They were humbly following and obeying Him. Jesus had just commanded them to go into all the world and preach the gospel, and so that's what they were doing. Now the Sanhedrin says, you know, you need to shut your mouth. Don't you speak in this word anymore. And they very respectfully said, God has commanded us, we ought to obey God rather than man. And they, and they took that threat seriously, they went back to, the, to, the, to where they were meeting and rehearsed the matter, and then they prayed, and it says there was great power and great grace. This was, they were, you see, they were in a, such a spiritual state that they were governed by the grace of God. They were controlled and empowered by the grace of God. And again, Acts chapter 11, verse 23, uh, speaking of Barnabas coming to Antioch, it says, who when he came and had seen the grace of God. And we know that the church of Antioch became the hub of missions in the early churches. Became the hub, you might say. I mean, they were, they were ascending missionaries act. Of course, Paul and Barnabas being the first ones. So, so we need to seek, of course, by hum, being clothed with humility, seek the power and sufficiency of God's grace. We're not wimps. There's power there in humbling yourself before God. And, it, and of course, the Bible says here, God resists the pride. If, if you're going to resist in pride, and the word resist here means that God puts on battle armor and goes to war against you. 
God hates pride. These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven abomination unto him, and, and two of them had to do with pride. Pride, look. God hates it. So, that's the practice. practice. And a third thing here I see here, we need to allow, and I say this for a reason, allow the Lord to carry our burdens. That takes humility also. Allow the Lord to carry our burdens. Notice verse 7, casting all your on him, for he careth for you. You know, pastoring is a great burden. It's a burden. It's a lot of responsibility. But a pastor, you know, there's a lot of pastors they, that they talk about burnout. James Earl said one time, I never forget this statement, he said, burnout is a result of trying to do the, the work of the spirit in the engine of the flesh. You know, we don't allow the Lord, and a lot of times we don't allow the Lord because of pride to carry our burdens. He says, casting all your care. That word casting means to throw it on. Just throw it on. To give it up. Give it up to God. You know, we have a hard time giving it up, don't we? We want to we try and solve it. We want to try and take care of it. We want to try and make it all work out, and, and we don't let the Lord work it out. The word care, of course, there's, there's two words, care, uh, caring and care, or careth. Uh, it can mean worry, anxious, frustration, burdens. And the other care, or careth, means to take charge, to minister, to assist in need. See, the Lord is able and desires to carry our But you know, that requires trust, confidence in Him, and humility on our part, being willing to let it go, to give it over. I don't know, if you're like me, you know, you just say, you have this attitude, I can just do it myself. I don't need anybody's help. You know, the older I get, the more I don't mind letting somebody else do things that I don't know how to do. You know, it used to be if somebody asked me to do something and I never did it before, why well, I'd try to figure out a way how to do it. And now I don't have a problem saying, well, maybe you should get somebody else. You know, after messing up a few things, why, you know, you learn to do that. But, but uh, and, you know, eating a humble pie a few times. No, but we see, we need to learn in humility to let the Lord bear our burdens. So I think Psalm 55 says, Cast thy burdens upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. And see, that takes humility. To cast our burdens, to let the Lord have them. Let the Lord have them. So, we need to serve the, humbly serve our chief shepherd. You know, he is our shepherd. He will lead us beside 
He will lead us to green pastures. He will lead us beside the still waters. He'll restore our soul. He'll lead us in paths of righteousness. Why can't we trust him? Why can't we trust him to enable us to do the things that he's asked of us? You know, my life verse is 1 Thessalonians 5.24. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. See, if God asked you to do something, he's promised to provide the means, the strength, the know-how to do it. And so, but we just need to be willing to humbly obey and serve our Lord and having confidence in Him and trusting Him that He will lead us in the way of righteousness. Do you have that confidence in our Lord tonight? Are you following Him? Serving the Lord? Are you humbly following Him or serving the Lord? What's your attitude toward your pastor? What's your attitude toward your parents? That really tells us whether we're clothed with humility. We're willing to say, yes, Lord, here am I. I will obey you. I will follow you. I will allow you to carry my burdens. Might be willing, we'd be willing to humbly serve him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time of your word tonight. Thank you for the practical instruction it gives us. And Lord, I pray you help us as your people here at Lighthouse Baptist Church just to be faithful. Help me as the pastor to feed, oversee, and to lead these people you put under my care. Father, help me to cast my burdens upon thee, knowing that you do all things well that you will fulfill your promises. Help these people, Father, just to follow you and to cast their burdens upon you. Help us to be to submit one to another. Have a spirit of unity as we gather around your word and obey it. We pray in Jesus' name.